Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We're currently studying together in the book of James, Faith That Works. For more information, go to our website, EdenWorshipCenter.com. Yeah, I'm just uh, grateful to be up here and uh, get to uh, speak from the Gingrich pulpit. Uh, so, I uh, feel like I have way too much hair to be up here. Uh, so... Um, I was telling Jason the other day, I was like, there'll be two people that'll be really glad when this sermon's over. And uh, I said, one of them's my wife, because she's already been saved like four times. And because uh, she has to hear me talk about it all the time. And uh, Jason, because I was calling him like every day, like, okay, you know, how do I do this? And kind of sharing with him, you know, just kind of what I think, you know, this passage is talking about. And so, yeah, they'll have both have a lot more time on their hands now without me um, preaching my sermon to them over and over again. So um, I wanted to kind of just uh, start out by just giving us a little uh, refresher uh, going through the book of James. Uh, I know we missed last Sunday because of the snowstorm, which I was grateful because uh, gave me a little bit more time to get prepared. And, uh, but I just wanted to kind of just do a brief overview so that we could kind of get back Um, kind of get back on uh, pace here. So um, James kind of starts out the book by just um, warning us that that we're going to go through trials in life. Um, In James chapter 1, oh, by the way, you could turn to James. We're going to be in James 4 mostly, but um, that'll just help you kind of get ahead of the game. Um, But in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. And then he goes on to, um, just to call us to, um, not just to hear God's word, but to actually do it. Because if we don't, if we're not actually doing God's word, we just become self-deceived. Like we're always kind of taking in, but we're never actually experiencing um, kind of what God wants for us. Um, and that's been something to kind of even amazing that I've been watching in my kids as they've been going out with revive is just how the truth comes alive in you, um, and to you as you're being faithful to, to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Um, and, uh, James warns us then, uh, not to show favoritism because when we were poor, God made us rich by giving his own son for us. Um, just this idea that we wouldn't um, look down on anyone because God hasn't looked down on us um, as sinners. And then he goes on in chapter 2 um, to, to explain how our, our faith will be proved out by what we do. Um, it'll be evident what we believe because uh, people will be able to see it in our lives. Um, in chapter 3 then, he cautions us how we use our tongues he said, even though the tongue's a very small part of our body, it steers our whole lives. And it actually shows um, by the way that we speak uh, what's in our heart. Uh, the, you know, from the overflow of the, the mouth, the, or from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he says that you can tell if someone's a Christian, if somebody's actually believed the word of God by how they speak about other people and to other people. Um, and then Jason talked about two weeks ago about two kinds of wisdom that James was talking about. There's a, a wisdom that's from heaven, uh, from above, that's basically full of all the, the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's another kind of wisdom that's uh, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic and our lives will produce one of those kinds of fruit. And so that kind of brings us up to speed where we're at this week um, in, in James chapter 4. So if you would, uh, just stand with me and we'll read uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 and also 10 and 11. Okay. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, 
so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then ten, uh, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, let's pray. Father, we just come before you just with a sense of uh, dependency, God, that we're so in need of you, so in need of you to um, live, live lives where our, we have our hearts completely set on you and not on other things to try to satisfy us or to give us joy, God. And we're so easily distracted just by our own desires, by our own sinful uh, pleasures, God. So we come before you humbly, just knowing that, that all good things come from you and that, that we're completely dependent on you. We're completely dependent on you to hear what you have to say. We're completely dependent on you to see what you're trying to show us, God. And I'm also completely dependent on you just to be able to preach this message and speak your word, God. I pray that we would hear um, God, and not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, God. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the main point that I want to try to bring out through this basically entire chapter, because I have a chunk that's out of the middle, but I kind of have to go over that to get to the end, is that um, even though we are sinners, God showed his great love for us so that we could show his great love to others. And that's kind of the overarching message of this chapter. Um, As I was kind of going through um, James and just trying to figure out uh, how to understand this, this chapter, you know, sometimes you just read parts and it's kind of hard to get a big picture of the whole thing and exactly what is going on. Um, it was very helpful to me. Like I, my goal is just to read through James multiple times and just try to figure out, okay, what's the idea? What's James trying to get um, across? And I came across something very helpful uh, to understand James chapter 4 and, and James chapter 1. <clears throat> so James chapter 1, uh, verse 14 because he, in James chapter 4, verse 3, kind of gets at two different questions. Uh, what's, what is the source of wars and fights among you? And don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? So we kind of have to ask ourselves, where do these desires come from? Um, and James has answered that for us earlier in his letter. In James chapter 1, verse... Um, well, I'll start with 13. No one undergoing a trial should say... I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And where sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or or shadow cast by turning. So James, by the way, that's out of the Holman Christian. You guys are all in the ESV, and you're like, what is he reading out of? So that's the Bible I have, so that's what I'm using. But sorry if it's a distraction. But he's, what he's getting at here is that um, these passions that are inside of us, these cravings that are inside of us that, that cause uh, fights and wars am, amongst us, not only inside of ourselves, but in our families, in our places of work, in, in our churches— um, actually come from us. They come from inside of us. James is clear in, in chapter 1 that they're not coming from God, that they are, <clears throat> that each one is tempted and drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. 
and, um, and then we act on those desires and it causes death in us. And, and consequentially, it, it causes death in everyone around us because it just kind of spills out and causes this big war um, amongst every one of us because we all have that inside of us. And, and he actually, he's actually making a comparison here in chapter 1 about how all the bad stuff, uh, all of our sin, all these cravings and desires have come from this sin, this indwelling sin that's inside of us. And in fact, God is a giver of good gifts. He wanted good for us, and we wanted something else. We wanted um, more. And I wanted to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Um, I think it's going to be up on the screen here. Just to kind of look at the original state of man. It said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see um, God having created everything and calling it good, and even giving them dominion over the whole earth. So essentially, God has provided everything for them and put them in charge of it. And as I was preparing this message one day at work, I was just kind of thinking through this in kind of a contemporary sense what it looks like. And I had this just this idea of basically like you're going to the store and like picture Adam and Eve in the shopping cart and God's pushing them around the store and he's putting in there everything that they need. He's putting in food, you know, shelter, clothing. And um, I mean, this is an analogy. It's going to break down at some point. But actually he didn't put in clothing because they were naked. Uh, So they hadn't sinned yet. So he puts everything in there. And then they get, um, like, so many times that you guys have seen at the store, whether it's your kids or someone else, up to the front, you know, there's all the candy and stuff there. And, and even though God has given them everything that was good and he knows best for them, they want to grab for something else. And that's kind of what happens, or that is what happens. And they take into themselves something that, that basically is this, this unquenchable desire, this passion. Um, and I have a video that kind of shows a little bit about this. It's going to be kind of painful, so just kind of um, bear, bear, bear with me here. So you guys got that? guess a picture's worth a thousand words. That might be worth 10,000 words, actually. So, so we, we see that, and we've seen that firsthand. We, maybe some of you have experienced that, and that is so embarrassing, so painful. Um, and, and we can kind of see right away, I mean, and, and even in little kids, like this, this sin nature, like we laugh about this, but like this is us. Like this is what we do. This is what we do to God. This is what we do to each other. Um, 
and and it's it's in our DNA. Like you don't have to teach kids this. You know, like put a couple of kids in like a room with nothing but one toy, and you're gonna see like a UFC fight break out. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be no holds barred, um, and that's just that's unfortunately what happened when Adam and Eve made that that power grab where they thought they knew better than God what they needed. And it, and it just released in us, in humanity, um, that, that nature, like that little girl at the end was just like, give, give me, give me, give me, um, that, that can never be satisfied um, with anything. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So, so the way God set the world up, the way that he set the whole universe up was that, um, that there would be a representative that would re- represent all of mankind. And through those first parents that we had, we inherited that nature. That nature, like that little girl has, came down through them. It's like the, the family heirloom that we don't want. But there's no way to get rid of it except for through Jesus Christ. Um, so we even see this oh, come on the scene right away in, in Genesis, like where you have Cain and Abel. Um, like, like, if you think, think about this, Adam and Eve had to see firsthand like, how the choices that they made affect their children even to the point of, of uh, you know, one of their sons killing the other one. And, and it was just because of that, that envy, that, um, that sin, you know, where he was uh, jealous of his brother. And it breaks out, it breaks out right away. Uh, I actually have the scriptures for that one up there, but I think, I think I'm just, for time's sake, just going to, uh, kind of go over that because uh, we're all familiar with that story. Um, so, so we see Cain killing Abel and, and just how messed up that is that, you know, here's two brothers. I mean, they might uh, only be, it they might have been the only other people on, on the earth except for Adam and Eve, and here, here you uh, kill, you know, kill your own brother because, because of that desire, because of that sin that's in there. Um, in Genesis chapter 6, it kind of escalates. And uh, I'll just read through that really quick. Yeah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So in verse 5, we see that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Like six chapters in, six chapters into this story, it's gotten so bad that God is sorry that he made us. And he, in his wrath and in his justice, destroys everything except for a guy, eight people, Noah's family and a boatload of animals. And you guys are familiar with the story. So, you know, that's a pretty, pretty hardcore story to um, get you uh, kind of buy into the main characters already and then to literally kill everyone. Um, and that's what we see happening at the beginning of the Bible. Fast forward to... Romans and Paul's going to tell us a little bit more of what of what this sin has led led us to in Romans chapter 1 verse 28 through 32 says and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they were filled filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So we see in, in verse 28 the root of all of these things. Yeah, maybe when you're reading through there, you recognize yourself a couple of times on the list. I know that I certainly do um, recognize myself in a lot of those things. Um, but this, this um, the, the fact that they had been given over to it, God gave them over to a depraved mind, a debased mind to, uh, to do what ought not to be done. All these other things are just an effect of that, are just uh, come out of that. But uh, through Adam and Eve's disobedience, it got passed down to us. It's nothing that we have a choice in at all. It just, we're born. We're born with that nature. There's nothing that we can do about it. And, and it, just got, it just got passed down. And then it had all these effects. So... <clears throat> So, so just to kind of go back to that contrast in James chapter 1 where, where it says that we don't, that, that those temptations aren't from God. Those are in us. But he, he wanted to give us good gifts. And we see that right in the beginning of Genesis where God makes everything and puts them in dominion over it. And, and they just, they blow it. They think there's something else better than God. And, and they try to make a, a power grab for it. So that's really setting up chapter 4 here. <clears throat> and uh, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 2. So that's verse 1, where it talks about what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that war within you? Well, we just see, seen where they come, came from. They were passed down to us. And, and we've acted on them ourselves then. So we, we read verse 2. You desire and do not have... So you murder, you covet and cannot t- obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So we just see this, um, <clears throat> this desire, like we desire and we don't have, so we murder. Um, we kind of just sometimes wants, want things so bad that we're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to kind of get them, regardless of how many people we kind of run over along the way. First uh, John three fifteen says, "Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer." You know that no murderer has eternal life. So I don't know. Uh, James is kind of reprimanding the churches at this the church at this time because he's all along been telling them, you know, what it looks like to be a Christian, what the kind of fruit it's going to be, and he's like, "It's not there." And you guys look at look at how you guys are fighting each other. And then it even says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. I, I don't know if there's actually murders going on in these churches, but um, Jesus made it pretty clear, and then John made it clear that uh, when we hate someone, it's actually murder. Um, and in Matthew five twenty one, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell, to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the, the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus took it pretty seriously. Um, you know, that not only that we not murder people, but that we don't hate anyone, that we don't talk about, you know, he says even fool here, uh, calling somebody a fool, um, that he, he puts that pretty high and that there shouldn't be anything between us uh, when, we, when we go to the altar or when we take communion. Um, that's something I've been appreciative at Revive Indiana. They've had multiple communions and, you know, just say, hey, if there's someone here that you need reconciliation with, which is crazy because there's all these people from different churches. And like the first night we were there, somebody came up and was like, hey, you know, 
kind of dealt with some old hurts from a long time ago at a church and it was just awesome to kind of they ended up sit, being sitting beside us so it's kind of hard you know when you're sitting there doing communion and you know like maybe there's something there um so it was awesome to be able to, to um kind of take care of that you know and get rid of that <clears throat> um so he says you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask uh, sometimes we want something so bad, we think that if we get it, it'll make us happy. When we finally do get what we wanted, we are no more content than before we had it. It's like the more we want what others have, the more we try to get stuff. We become so unhappy with our lives that it affects our relationships. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we will be truly content and satisfied. So, so they covet and cannot obtain. There's just like this wanting like the more you want, you just want more and you want more and you want more and it's, it's in, un, insatiable. It's like that little girl on the video. You just, it's just, un, it just gets out of control. <clears throat> in Matthew six thirty one, uh, Jesus talks about that we shouldn't be worried about what we're going to eat or drink or what we're going to wear, but that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But we have a tendency to get our focus on all of our stuff and on things and not be seeking first God's kingdom. And it has a tendency to just cause so much strife in all of our relationships because we're so, so much more focused, not on God, but on everything else. <clears throat> so, so yeah, we get so worried and so focused on all the wrong things. It's just by the grace of God that he ever turns our faces back to him. Like sometimes we get so lost and get so distracted that it just takes God coming in and just kind of like, like, hey, remember me? You know, it's just kind of really like, and that's what it takes, man. You get so blind. I get so blind. Like, and, and then you start worrying about, like, if that happens to me, like, like, I can't do anything. I need God to come in and do something because I get, you know, just so focused on that. You don't even realize it. <clears throat> so then he says, you don't, uh, you don't have because you don't ask. Our tendency towards for- focusing on our sinful desires tends to lead us towards prayerlessness. We kind of get so far from God, like we, we kind of quit talking to him. We kind of get so focused on everything else, we forget, like, we have this, Heavenly Father that, like James says in chapter 1, like, who gives good gifts. Like, he, his intention all along, even from creation, was he created all this. He put us in authority over it, gave us dominion. And we forget, like, that's who our God is. It's because, it's because we're evil. <laughs> and we get so focused, we forget, like, he wants to give us good things. The problem is, we want bad things. And he can't in our temper tantrums, give us our sin. He, it's not good for us. It's, he's a good father. He disciplines us. Um, so, so we just stop asking him for things, and we know we ain't living right, and we can't see any way out, but we don't ask because we, we, we know that we don't deserve any good thing from God, we think. Like, I'm so bad, like, because we forgot who our, our father is. Um, and, and that goes against First Thessalonians 5.17, where we're called to pray without ceasing. So the kind of the deeper we get into sin, we just kind of, we get um, to the point where we don't have what we need from God, the real life from God, because we don't even ask him for it anymore, because we're so, we're so self-focused. Um, and Genesis... Um, yeah, it just kind of happens over time. And then we, we tend to hide from God. In Genesis 3.8, it says this about Adam and Eve. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. So that, that prayerlessness, we... It just leads us to that tendency just to hide from God because we're ashamed of our sin and we've forgotten how good of a father that he is. 
So that brings us to James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So earlier in James chapter 1, James was telling uh, us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. See, we see our giving father again, that he will give us wisdom if we ask because he's generous. And it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the person, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So God wants us to ask for good gifts from him, for wisdom. Um, and he's generous. The problem is, when we ask, a lot of times we're asking, we want to hold on to our sin with one hand and kind of reach out and try to get from God his good things. And he, and that's what James is calling a double-minded man. We want to live for ourselves and live for God. And God cannot bless us in that condition. Like he wants us to be singularly focused on him so that we can, and then he will give us all the good things that we need. <clears throat> so, Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So these verses are directly opposed. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it's not that God doesn't want to give us the good that we need. It's that we don't know what that good is. We don't know what we need. Um, because it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, because he will give you himself. That's what he wants to give us. <clears throat> so, uh, verse 4, James 4, 4, <clears throat> says, adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. <clears throat> pretty heavy <laughs> when Matt asked me to preach. Um, actually, I think that verse is supposed to be the start of next week's sermon, but it got thrown in there. So um, when he first asked me to preach, like I was up for this section, like in literally like, okay, I'm like, well, I'll do it. Like, what's the section you want me to preach? And he, he texted, I think it was like four, James four, four through 10. And I look at it and like the very first word is adulterers. And I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to get up for the first time at church and my very first word to the congregation is adulterers. Like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> so not, not light here. Um, on James's part, he's really blasting these churches for the way that they've went after their desires and forsaken God. Um, and we tend to read sections like James 4, 1 through 4, and kind of be like, like, yeah, that's pretty tough, and that's not really good, but we don't realize that it's the best thing that we can possibly get is God showing us who we are and, and our need for him. Like, because we get so blind, um, and we need like a good smack in the face every once in a while by the truth so that we can kind of like, whoa, you know, bring me back to my senses. Um, <clears throat> so he says, uh, so the reason James calls us adulterers is the very, it's in the very next verse. Uh, the reason James calls us adulterers in the very next verse is because we don't really care about God, the giver of all good gifts. We just want the gifts he gives us. We want our sin because we think it will satisfy us. It is like the bride getting her ring and pushing away her husband. We know that James is referring to Christians because he used the word adulterers, meaning someone who is married uh, to another person and one of the spouses is unfaithful. So we often look at these sections and be like, well, this is obviously not talking about Christians. This is talking about somebody that's not a Christian, but, but he's talking about us because as the church, we're married to the Lord. <clears throat> so... So yeah, it's pretty stark so far. <laughs> James uh, 
4, verses 1 through 4. So, um, so we have been so hostile towards God by preferring our sin over him. He is jealous for his bride that he has purchased by his own blood. So how does God respond to the fact that we haven't been doers of the word, but hearers only? How does he respond to the way that we have shown favoritism in the church when he is no respecter of persons? How does he treat us when our faith has no works to prove that we actually believed his word? What does he do when with our tongues we start fires in our families and churches that burn people's lives down? How does he respond to the fact that we don't have the wisdom from above? In fact, we have the unspiritual, demonic kind of wisdom that is evident by the way we treat each other. Well, the answer to that is in verse 6. But he gives greater grace. It's one of the great but statements in the Bible that that though we've been these kind of people um, that have been unfaithful to him and haven't done what he's called us to do or be the kind of people he's called us to be, that he doesn't treat us how we deserve to be treated. In other words, he doesn't treat us how we treat each other. And my question is, who does that? No one does that. We don't do that. That's like totally foreign to us, that God would treat us in any kind of good way, considering who we are, like that we've been wicked and that he is so holy and that we have cheated on him and that we only deserve wrath. And his answer toward us is, I'm, I'm such a good God. My answer to this problem is, I'm giving you more grace. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. There's no way that we can wrap our minds around that in a sense. So I want to look here at Ephesians 2. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. This is basically uh, what's going on in these first five verses. It's almost like the same exact thing right here. Um, you were dead in the trespass is in sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's nothing that we bring to the table because what we bring to the table is our sin. Like, that's all we have. And we see that, that um, But God, rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He had to do something. He gave us greater grace when we deserved his wrath and his justice. And then Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, I like this translation too over the ESV, because the ESV says while we were weak. When you're weak, you have a little power. But for while we were still helpless, could do nothing. At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone dare to die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, and that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were helpless and could do nothing. Christ died for us. Because it's all grace. It's all God giving more of his grace. Because we couldn't do what he called us to do. And that's what James is, is call, telling these churches. He's been all along saying, if you're a Christian, you'll do, your life will look like this. You'll be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. You'll, um, your, your faith will be proved by your works. Your, the way you talk to each other will, be, um, will prove that 
that, that I'm in there. <laughs> and um, so Romans 5.17. Earlier we see that we inherited the sins of Adam. There was nothing that we could do about it. So God had to do something. He had to give us another, another head, another leader of our tribe. There's a theological term called federal, federal headship. Like God deals with us um, through a representative. And when we were born into the world, we were born into sin. We were born under Adam. He was our representative before God. And all of what Adam did passed down to us. So he had to send another representative that could do what the first one couldn't and redeem and Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through, that, through the one man, Jesus Christ. So God undoes all of what, all of what Adam did through his disobedience. He gives to us through Jesus Christ, through Jesus' obedience. He makes this great exchange where he puts all of our sin on Jesus and he punishes our sin in Jesus on the cross and we get the righteousness of God. We become, uh, we get right standing with God where basically, like when God sees us, he sees Jesus and we are restored. Um, but only in Christ. There's, so in the world, you have people that are under Adam. They're under a curse. They live in sin. And their sin is earning them death. And then those that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who get all of, all of the... Um, it gets credited to our account, all the work that he did. He fulfilled the law. He did everything that his father had commanded him to do. And, and that's now credited to our account. So you're either in one of two camps. You're in de- getting death through Adam or life through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so look at the rest of verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives greater grace in regard to our sin because we can't overcome in it, in it of ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's all God's work. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we're, when we're proud, we're actually putting ourselves above God. And God's like, there's nothing above me. He has to oppose us. He's, he's at war against us. He's going to um, humble us, which feels very painful <laughs> when he does that. And... Uh, but fortunately for us, he's a gracious, giving father. Um, if we're in Christ Jesus, and and he will consistently continue to turn us back to him uh, when we've kind of gotten distracted. <clears throat> so, I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter here to get to the rest of the verses. James chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So we see here, that there's, there's something that we have to do to receive God's good gifts of grace that we don't deserve. And that's to come to him, humbly come to him, broken. <clears throat> it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He'll never give anything to anyone that's proud. He gives his grace to the humble. And he says, therefore, submit to God. So that's what we have to do to, to receive all that God has for us, to kind of get ourselves back in that place where 
God can give us the good that we need, that we didn't know that we needed because we thought we needed something else and we were chasing after that because we thought it was going to satisfy us, but it never could. And he wants to, he wants to satisfy us. Here it says in verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's pretty. Our problem was that we were exalting ourselves. We were exalting our sin. And God wants to exalt us, but he wants to do it. Um, he wants to do it. He wants to show us how good he is, how gracious he is, um, how great he is, that he would, <clears throat> yeah, save sinners like us and that that he wants to trade us to trade our passions for all these worldly things. And he wants to fill us with him and give us joy that we can't get from any of that stuff. And that will like really satisfy us. I was, uh, one of the things about this message, um, just God's been working it in my life for about six or seven weeks now where I was trying to get prepared to preach and, I don't know if you've ever, you know, done anything like a mission trip or you're going to preach or something and you're like, I got to, you know, like I got to be like, like climb the mountaintop, you know, like I got to get myself ready. I got to, you know, spend time praying. I need to spend time reading the Bible and you want to be like in a, like a good place. And I was just like, like I had like three months or something to get ready. And, and I was like, okay, I'm going to read. I'm like, I could read through James like every day. I could get through it like a hundred times. And um, I was just struggling bad. I was like, man, I can't even read the Bible. I can't even get in the Bible, let alone read through James one time. Like I was just trying to like, trying to like just live for God in kind of my own strength. And it just wasn't working. And I was just really struggling, just struggling with, with sin and just really not in a good place and like just trying to get out, you know, and, and, um, I was having a particularly bad day and I decided to read like a Charles Spurgeon sermon called Vanity Fair. It was like super convicting. It's like God just like, you know, stabbing me like in a good way. I mean, uh, not like, yeah, but you know, just convicting me of things that I was doing. So I was like, man, I was like that, that kind of hurt, but it was good. And, so I, in that book, there was a bunch of sermons, so I kind of looked through the title, titles, and I'm like, I need to find another sermon that's, like, really going to hurt like that, but it's going to be good for me. And there was, like, something like when a man's sins come back on him or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll be a good one. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, who does that? You know, you're, like, struggling with sin, and you're like, okay, I'm going to, like, you know, yeah, just take take God's word in and just kind of wound myself but it was like so good i mean god was showing me all this stuff that i was doing and i was just so convicted and so broken and i felt so hopeless because um yeah i just realized how how much of a sinner that i am and how distracted i was from god and just started thinking about how i had modeled things in my life toward my kids. I had esteemed things that, not horrible, but not the best, you know? Like, I just, and just, my kids now are getting up to where they're like 18, 17, 16 years old, and you're just like, I just uh, just started thinking through and lamenting about, like, how I could have done so much better when they were younger and different things that I could have done. And you get to the point where you're just, it's like so heavy because you're just like, I can't go back. I can't undo anything um, that I've done. And just kind of this overwhelming hopelessness, like, like, okay, God, you're turning me back to you. You're showing me that I've misplaced my, my passions. I've misplaced, um, uh, you know, my affections. And so, so then I was like, okay, like there's some things I need to change. And I'm like, but you realize that you can't do that for anyone else. Like, God convicts you of your sin, and then you're like, okay, guys, we're all going to do this. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm going to literally be fighting everyone in my family to make these changes. 
because God's convicted of me, of my sin, and now I'm going to go try to convict them of their sin. And, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be me against four other people. And I was just, like, so hopeless. I cried. I cried so hard. Like, I cried harder than I've cried. Like, I was, like, I've been to, like, three, the last three funerals I've never cried in. Like, I just, you know, like, sobbed, just, like, shook. Um, just because of not seeing any way that this, that, you know, out of this. And just that, you know, it was just like we were getting to the point as a family where everyone's doing their own thing, you know. Like we're like you could, downstairs, somebody's watching Netflix and somebody's playing Xbox over here and somebody's playing Xbox over there. And it's just like you just can't pull everyone together. And you're just like, you just feel like, I'm like, okay, we get, we're getting rid of our TV, you know. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they're going to go for that. And uh, <laughs> so... And then I was telling Jen about my great ideas, and uh, <clears throat> she's like, well, yeah, I, hope. I never asked if I could share this, so this could be bad. But I was like, she's like, well, Mariah just ordered a TV yesterday, and it'll be here tomorrow. And I'm like, you know, like when you think you start seeing hope, like, like okay, God's convicted me of some stuff. I want to make some changes, and then, oh, it's getting worse, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> so that's great. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do what you want me to do. I'm just gonna keep my focus on you and put all my hope and my trust in you and just go from there. And then this, uh, that was like a week or two later, the Revive Indiana thing started up and like God just really grabbed a hold of our kids and he grabbed a hold of us. And he's kind of like turned them, turned their faces toward him. And, um, you know, now, like all my kids are serving the Lord. And it's just super awesome because for so long you're just like trying and trying and trying and things feel hopeless. And, and, and God just kind of comes in there, like it says here in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And, and God did in my life and in our kids' lives what we could never do by his grace. And now they're like, man, they're going there like more than us and they're going out on the, uh, all the outreaches and stuff and God's doing awesome things in them. And I'm not saying that to brag on them at all. It's just to brag on the grace of God that where I was hopeless and I saw no way out, like God turned all of us, our whole family toward him. And... um <clears throat> So, so I also have to go through uh, James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And that kind of brings me back to the main point that I made for early in the, in the service. That even though we are sinners, God showed his great love for us so that we could show his great love to others. So in essence, James is calling us to keep the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 11 and 12, he's talking about not speaking evil against one another. <clears throat> Or judging each other. Um, essentially what James is saying here is kind of this pattern like in James chapter 1 where, where we see that our sin isn't from God, but each one is tempted according to his own evil desires. And, and that uh, when we act on those desires and sin, it brings us death. But we have this Father that gives us good gifts that, wants to, that has our best interests in mind. Um, he kind of lays, that's laid out for us in James chapter 4, the entire chapter, like about our sin and about how God gives us greater grace because of our sin, because we can't overcome it, that he had to do something for us through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins when we were helpless. Um, that um, just following James's train of thought here, he's saying that 
if we have seen who we are in our sin and how God has given us greater grace because we are stuck there and there is nothing that we can do about it, how can we then, after experiencing the love and the grace and the mercy of God, turn around and judge our brothers that were, are doing the very same things that we were doing and that God has had such grace and mercy on us as sinners that, that he's saying that, that, that you ought to treat each other a certain kind of way because, you've, because you have been sinners, because God has had greater grace on you. It's going to make us a certain kind of people that, that don't go in and judge other people. Like It's almost like we're escaping um, the judgment of God, and God's done this wonderful thing. And it, it's, it's, the, it's the story of, of the guy who owes the other guy like a million dollars or whatever. I'm paraphrasing here big time. And, uh, you know, and, and he throws him in jail, throws his family in jail, and the guy pleads pleads for mercy um, because he owes such a great debt and, and the guy forgives him, gives him greater grace. And uh, he goes out and beats up the guy that owes him 20 bucks and throws him in jail. And that's essentially what James is saying here. Since you've re- recognized the fact that you're such great sinners and that God has had such great grace on us through Jesus Christ, that there's no way, there's no way that we can go back and mistreat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we ought to be um, a certain kind of person, that if we're Christians, we're for reconciling people to God. In James chapter 3, or James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we see that God's mercy has triumphed over our judgment. And, and through what Jesus has done for us. And it says judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. It, it shows that we actually haven't understood the love and the grace and the mercy of God when we are unwilling to have mercy on other people. And then he goes on in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? And I changed a few words around here. It says, what good is it if someone says, God has had so much mercy on me, yet he has no mercy on anyone in return? So, so there should be evidence. There should be evidence in our lives of the fact that we've understood the grace and the mercy and the love of God in the way that we treat others. And that's, the, that's basically the engine that's the Holy Spirit that he puts inside of us in, so that we can love each other, so that we can have grace on each other, so that we can be the kind of people that are, are going to build other people up. <clears throat> right before this chapter, James actually said of the, of the heavenly kind of wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 18. And he said, um, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. So he's calling us to be peacemakers in our homes, at our jobs, and especially in the church. That we can be the kind of people that when we see people fighting with each other and see people's, that sin nature rising up where we are for our desires, for our passions, and you have two people stuck in that and they're just kind of butting heads that we can kind of come in because we've understood the grace and the mercy and the love that God has shown toward us, and we can be that person of peace to reconcile people together in the church, people in the workplace. Um, James, at the end of James in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, basically wraps up for us what it means to be a Christian, who he is and what he has intended, particularly through this chapter, to do. And I always thought, oh, this is kind of a tack-on, a couple of tack-on verses here that don't really make sense. But he says, My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and, someone's turn, and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover over a multitude of sins. 
So in James chapter 4, that's who James is. James is turning sinners that have strayed from the truth uh, back into relationship with God. And that's who he's saying as a Christian who we are. That's our job, not to judgmentally look at people because God, because we've forgotten about our sin, God's done so much great work in our lives, and now we're just going to be super critical of everyone. Like he wants us to be humble people, recognizing the fact that we've had such a great need for the grace of God and the mercy of God that we can be um, the kind of people that, um, that can turn people back. Let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his life from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And we can't do that judgmentally or unmercifully. So if I could have the worship team just come up. So there's kind of this so what of this message, you know. So what, you've just preached this message, what does that mean? And it should mean a lot that we've recognized that we were so lost, that we're so lost without the grace of God, and that there's nothing that we can do, that we are so indebted to the fact that God um, had to have mercy on us because of our sins. And... that we can therefore be the, those, those people of peace in our homes, in our workplaces, at our church, where we can be mostly concerned with, with turning people back toward God, turning, turning people, because we all do it. We all go astray. We all fix our eyes on things that, that uh, distract us in our relationship with God. And we need that as brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to come alongside of people in church that are struggling not judgmentally, but humbly, because we, reckon, we recognize God's position and our lowly, humble position as those who are in such great need of God's good gift of grace and mercy. So, so it, has, it applies. It's, it's like I always used to tell the youth group where we were before, is love God, love people. And that's what God's enabling us to do by forgiving us is giving us that that heart, that humble heart that is able to, um, you know, just come alongside broken people and turn them back to God. <clears throat> so if I could, I'd just have you guys bow, bow your heads. I just wrote something here I was going to read. If you guys could say a little something. Uh, um, yeah, he saw us in our helpless state. We could do nothing to reach out. To him for help. We were dead in our sins. Then the Lord said, I will show you my extravagant I will show my extravagant love to this one. Our eyes were opened by his irresistible grace. We were then able to love him back because he first loved us. He is singular in his pursuit to reconcile us to himself through the suffering death of his son. He has made you his. He has made us one of his very own people, his bride. But we are not so faithful in our love. Our hearts are divided. We wonder. We stray. We cheat on our God. We pursue our own passions and pleasures, turning away from our great lover. But he is faithful. He is the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one. Have you strayed, church, from your shepherd? Have you wandered from your husband? He has come to find you this morning. Come back. Come back to him. He is here. Humbly draw near to him. So I just wanted to give an invitation for anyone that would like to just come. Just come to the altar. Just humbly come and receive the good things that our good father has to give you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to, to give you peace in all the ways that you've been trying to get all those things by setting your 
hopes on everything else except for Jesus Christ. He wants to come and he wants to give you his grace. He gives more grace because we can't, we can't do it on our own. We can't um, satisfy all those things. They're insatiable. He wants to give us true life. So I just wanted to invite anyone that wants to come forward that there's grace here today because God has had so much grace on us that, that if you want to come forward, you can come. And I'd be happy to pray with anyone, stay and talk to anyone because God's had so much grace on me that I'd like to be able to share that with you, be able to pray for any kind of needs. Um, and I think too, in light of, of uh, the fact that we're called not to be judgmental, that no one should feel like oh man, that person's, you know, a great sinner because they're coming forward. But we, we can't do that. We can't judge or criticize because, because that's who we are. God's had so much grace on us. So go ahead and come. All right. Let's play.